fired up. Amen. That's good. What a great message. And boy, they did such a fabulous job on it as well. Well, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. <clears throat> all right, let's do an executive vote right now, right? How about we give $1,000 to the track ministry that uh, Brother Micah represents? I think we give $1,000. Don't you think that'd be a good thing to do? I mean, they're trying to get that container over there to Pakistan, I believe it is. And I can honestly tell you that it's not getting cheaper to... Uh, send things across the country and across the, around the world. So I tell you what, let's just, with, a, with an eye, I don't even want the nays. If I hear enough eyes, we're good. Because if you've got a nay on this one, well, you got a problem. All right? All the eyes, let's give a thousand to that ministry, amen? Aye. Yeah, that's enough. I think that's the majority. As long as Brother Bob said it was all right, we're good. Okay? Brother Bob gave me a thumbs up, didn't you? Thanks, Brother Bob. All right, well, we're set. Brother, we'll get that to you before you leave tonight, okay? You can take care of that. All right, good deal. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Let's go ahead and take a look at that verse. This is a great verse, and it's one that we talked about. Again, it's our, our last Sunday, uh, kind of, you know, ending our campaign, if you will. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, as Brother Josh said, we're ending the campaign, but we're not ending our commitment to winning souls, obviously, you know. But uh, we've been at it for three weeks. We uh, uh, finished up yesterday with our final soul winning of those three weeks. And, and I, I believe, I'm, not, I'm not, not sure 100%, but I know that we're over, over 20 some souls. I know that. 24. And I know of a soul that got saved even this morning. Uh, so 25 souls. I heard about a soul that got saved this morning. That was exciting, uh, brother. Amen. That's good. And uh, so 25 souls in the last three weeks. And we're excited about that, and uh, of course, uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord's going to continue to do. And again, our goal is not to just simply win them. We certainly want to see them grow in their walk and relationship with the Lord, 
And uh, we've seen a number of visitors. We've seen some of them visiting even, which has been exciting. We've seen uh, one in the baptismal waters from those visitors, and uh, we've seen um, some things like that. And I know we want to see more. Don't misunderstand me. But can I tell you something? When you start saying things like, well, where all those people got saved? Well, I'll tell you this. They're not in churches that aren't going soul winning. I'll guarantee you that. You say, well, where are all the ones we want? Well, we've had a number of them come to church already, and we've got others that have been here because we're out soul winning. We've had a bunch of visitors that have come as a result of our door knocking, folks. We really have had a good group of people that have come. I can't, I don't know off the top of my head how many they've been, but every week we've had people here, normally two or three different families. I know I've got commitments still coming, and I know so many of you have said the same thing. Man, God's still working, and he'll use that if we get out and contact people. This idea that soul winning is dead is a lie. Listen, contact is still the key to it. We've got to stay in contact with people. You know, you know we can talk all day long about, about the church and change and the direction we're going in the future and all of those things, and there's nothing wrong with utilizing different methods and tools and all of that, but when you start saying, we're going to get rid of this aggressive going out, knocking on doors, reaching out to the people that need it most, my friend, you've got a problem. That's all there is to it. You've got to go where the people are. And sadly enough, in the culture we live, we don't have opportunities that we used to have. You know, I don't know about you, but I do not like to text people and talk about things that are of any value or of significance at all, because they're always misunderstood. You're always wondering and second-guessing, what did they really mean? What did they really think? What did they really say? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I don't like that. Okay, well, I know one thing. When I'm standing at your door and I'm talking to you about the gospel, I see your face, I see your eyes, I, I hear your voice. It makes a difference. And they see me. And I even sometimes pull my mask down. I know. It works, though. It still works, doesn't it? So we, we talk about this, and, and Proverbs 11.30 is great. It's wonderful. Look what it says here in Proverbs 11.30. And I'm sure that we could go to the modern theologian today and they could explain away this passage and tell us why it doesn't mean what we Baptists think it does. I guarantee you somebody does. They don't want you doing that. The devil doesn't want us out there knocking doors. I promise you that. The Bible says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Well, that can't mean that you're wise for winning souls. Or trying to reach people, because we don't win souls, right? But God uses us to win them. He uses us. He could have used the rocks. He said he would if we didn't cry out, <clears throat> so to speak. But we can. We're grateful that he gives us the privilege, amen? Now, we're going to talk a little bit about this, because this is our last, this is, I mean, this is the only time we talk about soul winning around here during our campaign. So we've got to get it off our chest and off our, and on, on, you know, I, it's got to get done today, right? I hope it's not the last time we hear about it. <clears throat> I hope not. So how are we to seek to win the loss? Because the Bible, we've already learned in our series, we talked about this a couple of times already. We said that Christians cannot enjoy a greater privilege than being able to be uh, used of God to win somebody to Christ. That's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. And then also we talked about that that's one of the Christian's main business is, is to be about reaching others with the gospel. Every whosoever that's been saved needs to reach the whosoever's that aren't saved. And so we've noted that. 
So how are we to seek to win the lost then? How are we to get that job done? And I just want to talk to you a little bit about that tonight, and then we'll be done this evening. And as of today, again, officially we end our, our campaign, our soul winning campaign, our spring campaign. And uh, I don't know, I've had a number of you come to me and say, man, we just need to keep this going. Just like we did with our prayer time. Some of you like, we need to keep this going. And you know what? You're probably right. We do. And so on Tuesday nights and Saturdays, we'll keep it going, okay? And you're welcome to come on out. We'd love to have you. Now, how are we to seek to win the lost? How are we to seek to win souls? Well, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll just consider a couple of thoughts today. We'll see how many we get through. I've got five of them. We'll see if we can get through at least three, okay? Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We're grateful, Father, for these that have gathered today. We do pray, Father, for Brother Micah and the ministry there. That's, uh, that's really a, 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 just a, a ministry that's so needed to get the Word of God out around the world. And Sometimes, Lord, we neglect to understand or recognize the importance and significance of the Word of God. And Lord, if we're not careful, we somehow think that unless it's accompanied by a human being, it can't do its job. And yet, Lord, I appreciate the testimony of some that I've talked to in the past who literally from just a track have been saved and their lives transformed and changed. I pray, dear God, that these tracks would do the same thing in that foreign country, that they would truly impact not just a life, but impact a home and impact a family and ultimately the culture and country. Again, Lord, with you, nothing's impossible. And Father, help us that are here tonight and May we continue to have a zeal and a desire as we've exhibited over these last weeks to reach the world with the gospel. The devil's going to seek to discourage us, no doubt. And yet, Lord, when it's all said and done, where a man or a woman spends their eternity is more significant than where they spend dinner tonight, where they spend a lifetime living even. Because, Lord, the eternal will never end. This is temporal. Help us to not neglect the souls of men and women, boys and girls. Thank you, Father, for a people that love souls. Thank you for a church that's been concerned and cares. Thank you for a people who have made their way out on Saturdays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And Lord, we have been blessed to see such wonderful groups go out. We just thank you for what you've already done and what you will do as we move forward in our, not just this service, but in our, our ministry, seeking to win and reach out to others. We thank you for the privilege, for the opportunity, and we thank you for being you. And we thank you for the fruit that you've permitted us to be a part of and to enjoy. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so how are we to seek to win souls? Well, first of all, we do it with a confession that humbles us. And you say, what do you mean? Well, that word confess means to agree with. It means to admit. And you know, the truth is that we have to honestly confess that we can't do the work in our own strength. That's the bottom line, isn't it? And, you know, we've been out, and it's been amazing as you've sat in the Saturday morning uh, uh, service, so to speak. We have our Go Rally, and it's been wonderful to hear the many testimonies, multiple testimonies. And it's so, there's this common thread that seems to go through all of them and run through all of them, and it's this. God just kind of dropped them in my lap. He just dropped them in my lap. Man, that's a wonderful thing. You know what that means? That means if you wouldn't have been there, they wouldn't have dropped in your lap. That's right. That means that probably they'd still be lost. 
But the reality is, is that you and I both know as a result of going out and watching God do these miracles that it is really all Him. It's never been about us. Although we prepare, although we plan, although we ready ourselves to go and we try to prepare in a way that we are competent and capable, the fact is, it's always God, always Him. It's always Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, The apostle says not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. Man, if we're capable and we're able to do anything, it is not us, it is Him. That's what he's saying. Man, and here's the apostle Paul who was saved on the road to Damascus. Here's the apostle Paul who literally was used to start church after church after church. The apostle Paul who today is bigger than life as we read the Word of God and yet he says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. If there's anything I've ever done, it's because of God, Paul says. It's always been Him. And that's true in our lives as we go out into the world and we seek to win the lost. See, the first requirement for success in reaching the lost and winning souls It's an honest admission that you just can't do it on your own. And that any success that we do experience is a direct result of His working. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, we read, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. It is not you and I, it's not this simple us presenting it in a way that is so precise and pristine. It is God taking the words, the letters, those, the meaning, and just, just pinpointing it in the heart of the, belie- of the unbeliever. The Spirit literally driving home the truth of the Word of God. The Word of God is a spiritual book. So much more powerful. It's not Shakespeare. It's not the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. It's not some wonderful collection of poetry. It is literally God's Word. And it is infused with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you take the Word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost, it drives home. It goes home where it belongs. And it does not return void. Again, any success that we experience is a direct result of His enabling. Dr. Wilbur Chapman often told of his experience when he was a young man, and as a young man, he went to become the pastor of a church in Philadelphia. During his first sermon, an old fellow came up to him and said, well, you're pretty young to be the pastor of this church, young man, but you preach the gospel, so I'm going to help you all I can. Dr. Chapman thought at the time, he thought, man, what a crank. But the man continued. He said, I'm going to pray for you that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit power when you preach. And then two others, he said, I've had two others that I've covenanted together with, and all of us, all three of us, we're going to join together, and we're going to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit when you preach. Dr. Chapman said, I didn't feel so bad when I learned he was going to pray for me. So the three became ten. And the 10 became 20, and the 20 became 50, and the 50 became 200 who met before every single service to pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon their preacher. 
He said, I always went into my pulpit feeling that I'd have the anointing and answer to the prayers of those who faithfully prayed for me. It was a joy to preach, he said. The result was that we received 1,100 into our church by conversion in three years, 600 of them whom were men. It was the fruit of the Holy Spirit in answer to prayer, Dr. Chapman said. And you know, if we think somehow that it's any other thing that builds the ministry or that grows the kingdom, my friend, we have missed the point. It's always God, and it's always the Holy Spirit at work. It's always prayer. The truth is so fundamentally important that it can't be overemphasized. Our sufficiency is of God. So with a confession that humbles us. So how are we to seek to win souls? Well, with a confidence that empowers us. You know, we are not to have any confidence in this flesh. That's, we're not supposed to. Now, can we be frank? We, we fail miserably in this area. We fail miserably. But we are to have absolute confidence, not in the flesh, but we're to have absolute confidence in the power of the Lord to work through us. Now, listen, the reason, the reason why I know that all of us struggle with this is because we don't follow the second part. See, we're not to have confidence in the flesh, but instead we're to have absolute confidence in the power of the Lord to work through us. I don't see a lot of that in my life at times either. So if I don't have that, then obviously I'm leaning on the other. It's either one or the other. Either you honestly believe you can do all things through Christ and your life is evidenced of that, or you, like me, struggle from time to time with the confidence in the flesh. You say, but I have nothing to be confident about. I'm not very, I'm not very personable. I don't have any talents. I don't. It doesn't matter. You can still be leaning on that flesh left and right. You can allow that flesh to keep you from serving God even. You're trusting the flesh instead of having confidence in the power of the Lord to work through you. I could never teach Sunday school. Why? Why? Because your flesh can't do it? Well, I believe that I have confidence in the power of the Lord to work through me. Then why do you say you could never do that? See, I think sometimes we, we, we're not so cut and dry with what we say. We, we, we say things that we don't even really know what we're saying. I'm telling you that we struggle with this old flesh. If you don't think you do, my friend, you probably need to consider it a little bit more. Because I think we're all in a real bad spot sometimes in this area. And the key is not, are we completely and totally confident in the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord? But how, how confident are we? Because that devil's always tempting us to go back to this old flesh. It's a constant balancing act, I feel like. I think, man, I got a handle on this that minute. And here I am again. I better get back there. And oh, oh, there I go again. We see a wonderful example of somebody that really had confidence in the Lord and in the power of the Lord. Let me give you three names and tell me which one you think I'm going to talk about. Let's see. Um, Noah, Daniel, David. Which one do you think I'm going to talk about? Daniel. How many think Daniel? How many think Daniel? Okay, how many think Noah? How many think David? Yeah, you knew the way I said that, didn't you? 
You guys think, I know, I know you're not mind readers, but you obviously picked up on that. You're very perceptive. Hey, wait, David, man, what an amazing story. Not that the rest weren't, mind you. But there's a wonderful example in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Turn over there to 1 Samuel 17. Man, we're going to find a young man who had an absolute confidence in God's power. He faced a, a, a giant. The odds were overwhelming. Notice what the Bible says here. Let me give you just a couple things. First of all, we're going to note some doubt here. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 33. Saul said to David, chapter 17, verse 33 of the book of 1 Samuel. Notice the doubt. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. And what's he saying? He's saying, man, this guy, he is a warrior, and he's been a warrior, and he continues to be a warrior, and he's an effective warrior. He's got a reputation that's long, and you're just a kid. You're in trouble, David. I don't know about you. Would you have doubted David? I would have. I would have. One of these young people steps up and says, I'll go kill that giant. I'd be like, are you kidding me when I'm standing here? Are you, I mean, are you out of your mind? You're going to go do that? Daniel, stand up. Daniel says, I'll go kill the giant. I can't hear you. And you know what? He believes it. But do you? I'm going to tell you, if I was Saul, I'd be like, hey, dude, take a look over there. You get a little shorter than me. <laughs> take a look over there. You see that guy? That's a giant over there, and he's a man of war from his youth, and you're just a youth. Are you kidding me? You can't whoop him? That's what I'd have said. You, you can sit down now. He's pretty tall. He's about as tall as Goliath compared to me. Man, I got thinking he just might be able to do it. And here's what David says in verse 30, 43, or excuse me, verse 37. David steps up and he says, wait a second. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, uh, he'll deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David didn't say, well, you know what? I may not look like much, but feel that right there, buster. Take a feel. Go ahead and just squeeze. Go ahead. Hit me as hard as you want in the gut. Go ahead. He didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. He wasn't dependent on himself in the least. He knew he was no match for Goliath. He knew he couldn't fight Goliath. But what did he say? He had a confidence. And his confidence wasn't in self. His confidence was in the Lord. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. We see intimidation now. We move down to verse 43, and now he's facing Goliath. Man, it gets ugly now. Not only is there doubt, people are saying, I don't think it can happen. It's not gonna. I, I'm still amazed, really. When I read about, about David, I can't believe that Saul let him go down there. I still I cannot believe that he let him do that. I mean, think about it. The, 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 the future of the nation was on the shoulders of a young man. 
And this is a man. Now, you got to understand who the king was. And I'm getting off track a little bit. But when I think about Saul, he was a head taller than everyone else. I mean, Israelites, Jews were not very tall in those days. He was probably over six feet tall. He was a head taller than all the rest. And when it came to fighting the giant, he was afraid to fight the giant, even though he's the biggest man in town. Is that amazing? He said, oh, I'll trust you, David. Little David will take care of it. I don't, I don't know. I don't get how that works. It'd be like some, you know, some 275-pound you know, uh, wrestler coming in here and saying that he's going to whoop the preacher and you know, one of the 125-pound teenagers jumps up and says, oh, yeah, God's going to take you down, big boy, and I'm going to be the one he uses. I'd be like, I ca- can I pick a couple other guys around here, please? Could I grab a few others to help me? I really don't want to depend on you, sir. You, you get what I'm saying? I mean, I would be ready to find some. I'm sure there's a hand. Can, can I get a Larry Green over here? Larry Green, he's, he's, a, he's a, just a, a back alley fighter. Bring him in, man. Street fighting extraordinaire. But no, this Philistine stands up and says, and the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. (laughs) Look at the confidence now. Verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. I wonder how he said it too. You know, here's David, right? I mean, David's a young teenager. I mean, he's probably 16, 18 years old, probably. I mean, I don't know, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd like to, one of these young men saying it instead. I mean, I'm over here embellishing now using my baritone voice. I don't know. I don't know if he his voice was totally mature yet. I don't know where he was at in his life and in his 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 growth. But I know one thing. He stands up and he says, "This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the, unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel." Man, he had a confidence, and his confidence wasn't in self. It was in the God of heaven. I can only imagine. I mean, can you imagine the voice of Goliath? I mean, Goliath is, I mean, he's 400 pounds probably, 450 pounds. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot two, and he weighed 300 pounds when he was in his best shape, and he looks like a monster. And Goliath was 150 pounds heavier And he was almost two and a half feet taller. I can only imagine what his voice sounded like. You know, can you imagine a a diaphragm that big? I mean, I'm, you know. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear. No, wait, that's David. I'm sorry. (laughs) Am I a dog? That thou comest to me with staves. And David. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. I mean, think about that. Is that not really what would have, I mean, that's probably how it went. I mean, nobody thinks David has a chance, especially Goliath. 
But David's confidence was never in himself. Oh, we'll never be able to win the world. Oh, we'll never be able to go out and win a soul to Christ. We'll never be able to do what God's called us to do as a church and as an individual and as a, as a, as a it's just, it's never going to happen. It'll never happen if we keep trying to do it in our own strength. Doesn't matter how big the giants are, obviously, because David was not really the greatest specimen of a man at that time. Oh, he was a man of war. We understand that because he was, Saul was told that he was. I don't understand how that works when he'd never been in battle except that he'd killed a couple animals. I get that. I mean, I mean, you kill a bear and you kill a lion, I may have a little more confidence in you. Now, to do that, you'd have to go to the zoo, and I don't think that's a really a real challenge, but... <clears throat> I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's what we learn, don't we? Now listen, A.C. Dixon, he once said this. When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. And so on. Now, I'm not disposed to undervalue any of these things in their proper place, but when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. He goes on to say, thank God for what we alone can do in the lives, excuse me, thank God for what he alone can do in the lives of the lost and saved alike. As humans, we are often tempted to doubt the almighty power of God. His word is clear and unapologetically proclaims his deity and unlimited power. Still, we're prone to doubt. Doubt will render us powerless before a lost world in need of Christ's blood as we read in the scriptures, we are reminded of Christ's infinite power and enabling ability as he restores sight to the blind, heals the lame, and raises the dead. Jesus himself said in John 14, 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Again, we are tempted to doubt the enabling power of God. What can God do that only he can do in your life? What has he done? Amen. And the truth is, if he's ever done anything, it ought to give us confidence to say he can do it again. And boy, if he can do it in our lives, he can do it in the lives of others. When we remember those past victories, it ought to give us that confidence we seek. We ought to be able to face the enemy, face uh, head, head to head and head on. The American painter John Sargent, I've shared this before, but he painted a panel of roses that was extremely praised by his critics. It was a small picture. It wasn't very big at all, but it approached perfection. And although offered an extremely high sum of money for this particular painting on a number of occasions, Sargent refused to sell it. He just would never, ever, ever get rid of it. He considered it his best work, and he was so awfully proud of it. When he was really depressed, discouraged, or he became doubtful in his abilities as an artist, he would look at that particular painting, and it would remind him of something. He'd say, I painted that. Then his confidence in his, in his ability would come back to him. 
Because he went back and saw what he had been used to do before and what he was able and capable of doing and it built his confidence. And can I tell you, when we see God working in his beauty and we recognize that he alone has done it, we look back from time to time when we begin to doubt his power and we say, he can do it again. And he can do it again. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to live in the past. I don't want to remember how it used to be. So what? We've seen some great things that Community Baptist Temple means nothing going forward. It serves no purpose if it ends here. The purpose of what God has done in the past is to catapult us forward to cause our faith to grow and to cause our confidence to increase. I don't care what happened in 1960. Our churches were blowing up. Yeah, they were blowing up. What good does that do us today? I mean, I'm not saying that we don't appreciate what God did then, but I'm saying, what about us? Don't you want to see something? Don't you want God to do a miracle in your life, your family, your home, your ministry, your church, your community, your world? I do. It just doesn't work that way anymore. I, I guess we're depending on ourselves then. Because the God that we serve isn't changed a lick. And his word hasn't changed. His promises haven't changed. Yeah, but we know the last days. Nobody's going to get saved now. It's getting harder and harder. You don't know when, it's gonna, when Jesus is coming back, and neither do I. What if he doesn't come back for a thousand years? Well, that's impossible. Oh, I guess you know, because you're, you know, you're part of the Trinity. I mean, seriously, how ridiculous is it to tell me or anybody else when God's not coming? You don't know when he's coming, so you don't know when he's not coming. And, you know, here we live our lives like he's supposed to show up because if he doesn't, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He don't have to apologize to nobody for nothing. He's God. He does what he wants. By the way, there are countries that have been in oppression and have experienced persecution for years now. America doesn't even know what that's like yet. And yet we're already going, oh, it's so painful to live in America. The liberties are all taken away. Yeah, that's right. That's why our people are still in corners walking around with signs and street preaching. Oh, that's why we're still knocking doors as we speak and going door to door and nobody said a word to us. Oh, I had somebody come to me too. Had a bunch of no soliciting signs up the door, down the door. Hey, first of all, I'm not selling nothing. But then he had a no trespassing sign over there on a tree on the other end of his property. And I knock on the door, and he comes to the door, and he says, what, what do you want? And I said, well, I'm a pastor, and this is my wife, Sherry, and we're just in the air because, you know, you, you matter to God, and, and he cares about you. We want to see how you're doing today. And all of a sudden, he starts going, can't you see the blankety-blank signs? Can't you see the blankety-blank signs? And I went, excuse me? What would you say? I can't hear you. What signs? What, what signs? The no trespassing sign. I said, where is the trespassing? No trespassing sign. And he goes, out there. You say, there you go. We shouldn't be out door knocking. Why not? That guy needs the gospel too. So what are you going to do? Oh, it's so bad out there. Oh, God. 
Hey, you know how many times that's happened to me in the last three weeks? Let's see. Once. Once. How many people were so kind and considerate and still thankful that we showed up at their doors? Man, we are talking ourselves out of being obedient. We just keep talking ourselves out of it. We let everybody tell us what we should feel and think today. I think we just need to have confidence in him. He's big enough to tell us what to do and what not to do. Sam Jones, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end here soon, but I want, I, let, me tell, let me tell a story or two. Sam Jones, he was born in 1847. The curtains were drawn, and inside what they often called a sick chamber at that time, his mother laid dying. There he was, just a small boy at the time, watching his mother die right before his very eyes. He stepped right up to her side and he said, I need you, Mom. I need you, Mommy. Well, he struggled holding back the tears. Don't leave yet. Her voice was gentle and she said, Sam, I'll never be able to return to you. but you can come to me. Sam Jones, at just eight years of age, never forgot the words of his dying mother. Just before entering college, he became very ill. And even though his father was a minister, he began drinking. He somehow thought that the alcohol, of course, would help his nervous stomach. I guess he took to heart the passage that a little wine for the stomach's sake, I guess. You better be careful when you start using scriptures like that to justify your sin. Sam would go through spells of drinking, and he managed to make the Georgia bar even so. I mean, he was a lawyer. He made it. He passed the bar in 1868. He married a really lovely young lady, and the problem was his drinking just increased. It got worse and worse. And when he was sober... And when he tried a case, he was, he was known as Sam Jones, the brilliant lawyer. But too many times, he was Sam Jones, the drunk. News came to Sam while he was on a six-week oh, six drinking binge that his father was extremely ill. He hurried to his father's bedside, and, and his dad just kept getting worse and worse and worse. The relatives were called in to say goodbye, and Sam was standing at the foot of the bed and he was listening to everybody say goodbye to his dad and then all of a sudden his father asked for him and he moved over to the head of the bed and he got down beside his daddy and his dad said, my poor wayward boy, you've broken the heart of your wife and it brought me in sorrow to my grave. Sam looked away as he could feel the tears welling up in his eyes. His dad said, promise me you'll meet me in heaven. And overcome with emotion, Sam took his dying father's hand and he said, I promise. I promise! I'll quit drinking and I'll set things straight. I'll meet you and mom in heaven. Well, his father died. But Sam never took another drink.
The following Sunday, he went to hear his grandfather preach. And at the close of the sermon, he went forward and he asked for prayer from the entire church. Confess your faults one to another. He continued to listen to Grandpa's sermons. This went on for a number of weeks, and finally, he made his way up the aisle again, and this time he said, I want to give all that's left of me to Christ. Sam Jones, the drunkard, became Sam Jones, the evangelist. And from Boston to San Francisco, great crowds flocked to hear him preach. Thousands were converted through his ministry. D.L. Moody himself took time off just to hear Sam Jones preach. President Theodore Roosevelt asked for his counsel. Christ died for all mankind. and There's not one sinner exempt from his love. It doesn't matter how sinful or how wretched or how bad it may seem, there is not one that is below God's grace and love. It reaches down to the least of us. In 2 Peter 3, 9, you probably know it by heart, but the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it says, what's the will of God? Right there, that none should perish. That's one thing. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And if he doesn't want anyone to perish... I'm just going to throw this out. How could Calvinism be right? If he chooses some to go to hell and some to go to heaven, I don't understand. Then he's obviously lying to us. And God, we know, does not lie. See, the souls for whom, the souls that we would win are the souls for whom Christ died. Man, people can still be saved today. Hey, listen, let's not believe the, the lies of the devil, let's not buy into this modern misrepresentation of theology that says things like, well, you can't do what you used to do. I'm going to tell you something. The only reason you can't do what you used to do is because you don't do it. We're in a sad state of affairs today in America. And can I tell you the answer is still the same as it's always been. It's not a thing, it's a person, Jesus. You know, he's the answer for your life and your problems. I don't know about you, but honestly, there are times in my life where I didn't think God was big enough. I didn't feel the comfort that I wanted from God. Sometimes I forgot who God really was and I thought he was supposed to respond to me on my terms. But when I finally would say, okay, Lord, whatever you want, because you are God, and I humbled myself before the Lord, that's when the peace came. We never find peace until we finally humble ourselves to his will and purpose. Until we're willing to say whatever you want. What's the passage say in Philippians chapter 4? It says, and I'm going to turn there because I don't, if I started it, I'd be fine, but today I've been having a problem with starting verses. But in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he makes this statement, and I just want you to hear it, and then we're going to close this out, but it just, 
is an important passage. He says in Philippians chapter 4, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is not until we can thank him for that situation, that circumstance that we truly find the peace that we look for. As long as we hold on to what we want and we say, this is what I want, and God, I don't know why you won't give it to me, we'll never find peace there. It's not until we finally surrender our circumstances and we say, no, whatever you want. You want my life? You can have it. You want my health? You can have it. You want my family? You can have it. You want my ministry? You can have it. Truly, that's the only time you'll have peace with God is when you hand it over to him completely. As long as you and I try to hold on to anything and we believe it to be ours, there will be a conflict within. and We will question God's comfort because we'll never find it. That had nothing to do with soul winning. I trust it's helpful. If you don't agree with it, you'll figure that out. You will figure that out sometime, I hope. I hope it doesn't come after months and months of agony. The sooner we learn that, the better off we are. But can I tell you, Pastor O'Donnell struggled to learn that lesson. And I still don't have it all figured out because I always want to hold on to things. I always want to hold on. And God has to say, let it go. I'm not talking about some movie, Frozen. Sorry, my granddaughter made me listen to that the other day, and I was like... (laughs) Actually, I was being very animated as I listened. But nonetheless, I would hate to have you seen what I was doing, but I was being crazy. But nonetheless, we do have to let it go, don't we? I'm telling you, aren't you glad that God's given us the privilege and the opportunity to take his gospel to the world? Yeah. I mean, I, I know, I know that it's intimidating and I know it's tough and I realize that it's uncomfortable. I, I tell you, I don't know that you could ever understand how uncomfortable I am doing that. But boy, I also know this. There's no greater feeling in the world when I open that book and get to share the gospel. And then there's an even better feeling when I get to see somebody receive and accept him. And I think, man, thank you for the privilege, Lord. The devil tries to talk me out of it often. But boy, do they need him. Just like I do. Just like you do. Well, we're closing down our campaign. The question is, will we discontinue or will we cease to go soul winning? Will we stop reaching out because the campaign is over or will we continue to be obedient in this area. I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to do all right. I really do. And I've seen evidence of it. And I'm so excited. God help us to continually and faithfully reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for your love and your grace in our lives. We thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be used of you. Lord, um, it's really a wonderful opportunity to be able to take the gospel to somebody that doesn't have the truth of the word of God or is 
misinformed or maybe confused about the truth and then to be able to take the Bible and open it up and just walk right down those truths and really impact their life as the Holy Spirit drives home those, those, the message in the Word of God. Thank you so much for trusting us with your Word. And I'm so pleased and so happy with a church who so many took the time to, 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 to learn the gospel, to, to try to organize those thoughts in a way that they could present it clearly and, and, and capably to others. And Lord, it's been so good to hear what you've been doing with that and how you've been blessing. And I just pray, dear God, you'd continue to help us as a church to have a burden for the lost, to have a passion for souls, to want to please you with our lives in a way, Father, that is very tangible and practical, Lord. Father, you literally, you say that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, we're just following in his steps, trying to please you in that regard. Lord, we understand you love us. Lord, we just want you to know how much we love you today. Thank you for meeting with us today. And we just pray you continue to work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, if there be any here that don't know for sure heaven's their home, I pray they'd settle it before they leave even this night. Well, thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.